As is the first Sunday of the new year, we are breaking into our normal series and we are looking at Solomon's dedication of the temple. And this morning we were in 2 Kings chapter 8, looking at Solomon's prayer and the phrase, knowing the plague of our own hearts. Now this evening we're taking the account in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and it's not so much Solomon's prayer. He's finished praying and God fills the temple with his Shekinah glory. It is so awesome that the priests can't enter. And God then appears to Solomon by night. He has manifestation of the Lord. And God gives him certain promises and it's the verse that we looked at before the week of prayer in September. It's the verse that we're going to have this year as our verse. And many of us will probably know these words off by heart. But do we know them in practice? That's the key. Let me read them. You know what they are. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. When I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land." Now, what God is describing there in physical terms, a lack of rain, a pestilence, a plague, like we've been experiencing with COVID or locusts, that is interpreted by us as spiritual, spiritual disease, spiritual famine, spiritual dearth. And God says... If you, my people, seek me, then I will open the heavens and send rain, or I will heal, uh, or I uh, will uh, destroy the locusts. And that, again, is spiritual. God opening the windows of heaven and sending the Holy Spirit, the showers of blessing, and don't we need that more than ever? Whatever term we use, I don't want to get into semantics tonight, but it can be called revival. It can be called a visitation. That means a visit by Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. It can be called an awakening. I don't care <laughs> what term we use. What we're talking about here is seeking God together as his people, in order that we may know this blessing. Now, three things I want to bring from these verses. Three things. The first is the who of revival. Who is this promise given to? Well, let's look at what God says. If, verse 14, my people who are called by my name. 
Now, sometimes people mistakenly think of revival as something that needs to happen to the unbelieving world. But that's impossible. The, the word to revive means to waken up. Now, the Bible is very clear that we are all born dead spiritually, dead in trespasses and sin. It's not revival that the unbeliever needs. It's resurrection, resurrection. And that's what happens to every one of us when we are truly saved. We are born again of the Spirit. We are raised to newness of life. Oh no, you don't revive something that's dead. You resurrect something that's dead. You revive something that, wa well, was lively, but it has got into a state of slumber. There's still life there, but it's not as alive as it should be. And my friends, that's what we need. We are not what we should be as God's people. We're in a state of slumber. And we need this breath of the Holy Spirit to waken us up. Now, I've often been in discussions in ministers' gatherings uh, on the theme of revival on the one hand and evangelism on the other. And it's as if people uh, fall into two groups. Either you're big on revival uh, or you're big on evangelism. But... When I read my Bible, I don't find revival and evangelism polar opposites. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Revival goes with evangelism. If you read uh, the accounts of the early church in the book of Acts, where evangelism was probably at its greatest in the history of the church, uh, the word of the gospel spread across the whole Roman world and in less than a generation it had turned it upside down. Now that's evangelism for you. Where was revival in all of that? Well, the Holy Spirit was mightily at work, not just on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came down, but again and again and again you read of waves of the Holy Spirit coming upon the Word. So if you ever get into an argument... Uh, trying to separate revival and evangelism, don't bother. They go together. If you've got a heart for reaching the lost with the gospel, you will long for more power. So revival is bringing life into something that's just become sleepy. And it's not so much that church down the road that needs revival. That's another mistake we fall into. And I'm not thinking of a specific church now. <laughs> we tend to think that it's those superficial Christians, maybe, those dodgy Christians that need to be revived. Oh, no. They may need it, but it's we who need to be revived and I would take it even further than that I would say there's always a personal element it's not so much you that needs to be revived it's me me 
Uh, there's a hymn. We used to sing it quite a lot. Uh, it's hard to sing it in lockdown because the tune is so uh, difficult. But I've got memories, blessed times in camp, uh, standing on the beach in Bournemouth, uh, singing uh, spontaneously, Lord, I hear of showers of blessing. Here's the metaphor again. Spiritual blessing, the drops of the Holy Spirit. Thou art scattering full and free. Showers the thirsty earth refreshing. Let some drops now fall. Where? On them over there? Well, yes. But on me as well. Me, Lord. I want to be refreshed. Uh, now, whenever we are privileged to go to parts of the world where there is more of a move of the spirits, you will understand what I mean. You just realize how much of a dearth we are experiencing in the West. Or if you not so much go somewhere else, but go back in time and spend some time reading about God's wondrous works of old, you will just realize uh, the paucity of our experience of the Lord in the West today. So, Lord, I hear of showers of blessing. I hear what you're doing in parts of India and in Moldova. I hear of what you did here in Wales not that long ago. And, Lord, you haven't changed. We have changed, but you are still the same. And, Lord, I want to know that personally. I can't comment on my brothers and sisters, Lord, and I'm not judging other churches, but all I know is this. I need, I need that awakening. Pass me not, she went on to say, Oh, gracious Father, lost and sinful though I be, thou mightst curse me. I deserve that. But the rather, let thy mercy light on me. And then the hymn goes through the Trinity. I love it. It's not revival as some concept. It's God we're seeking. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pass me not, O tender Saviour. Aren't you glad he's got tender hands? Let me love and cling to thee. Fain I'm longing for thy favour. When thou callest, call for me. And pass me not, O mighty Spirit, thou canst make the blind to see. Testify of Jesus' merit. The Spirit always draws attention to Christ. Speak the word of peace to me, even me. The who of revival. It's not the world. It's not those lesser Christians, if I can put it like that. If we think of those who are not as privileged as us, maybe. It's not even others, it's me. Imagine if every one of us realized that this evening. The what of revival. Now, here we have to be careful. You can get into tedious discussions on God's sovereignty and human responsibility. For example, we have a responsibility to speak the word, don't we? But we can't bring a soul, a dead soul, to spiritual life. 
But how will people be saved unless they hear the word? So there's no polarization between God on the one hand and us. The two go together. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a farmer uh, upon Anglesey. And uh, he wouldn't use God's sovereignty as an excuse to sit back and not bother uh, milking the cows. <laughs> that would have caused huge problems. The fact that God is sovereign in providing milk through the cows means that we can go out with confidence and do our work. So we have a responsibility when it comes to revival. Now, don't think me unsound in putting it like that. I don't think it's biblical to sit back and say, oh Lord, we need revival, amen. But we can't do anything, I understand. But here, God says to Solomon, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Now, the description of the state of the land, when I shut up heaven that there be no rain, etc., and when we apply that spiritually, isn't that so much the case today? Heaven is like brass. It, it's not so much sometimes a lack of evangelism. It's the fact that people are not getting saved that often. We praise God, don't we, for the clarity that the gospel is being uh, communicated uh, uh, in terms of open airs, in terms of preaching, in terms of publications, in terms of uh, the internet. Praise God for all of that. But, my friends, where is the power? Where, where are the conversions? It is one thing to fill a church with people. You can have a people-filled uh, church for all sorts of reasons. But it's different when God is at work. God is on the move. God drawing people. Uh, didn't uh, Mr. Hyam experience something of that many decades ago now when people would be drawn without realizing it sometimes into this place? Now, that doesn't negate our responsibility to invite people. But what I'm trying to say is there's a huge difference between God working and us just trying, trying, trying. So the what of revival. We have a responsibility. Look at what God says. What do we do? Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. I wish he didn't say that. <laughs> Because none of us are humble. None of us. Even those who may have a temperament that is gentler are not humble in this spiritual sense. The Uriah Heap kind of humility, where you're talking about how humble I am, that's not spiritual humility. That actually is a subtle form of pride. Because that humility is preoccupied with its own humility. <laughs> no, none of us are humble. God brings us to a place where we're humbled. We're all by nature self-sufficient. 
And even as saved Christians, we've still got that self-reliance in us. To humble ourselves is the opposite. It's to say, I can't. (laughs) I can't. Jesus' words, without me, he can do what? Nothing. Spot on. Nothing whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If the Spirit isn't in it, it's useless. That's being humble. Lord, I need you. Let me give you some verses. The sacrifices of God. It's interesting, isn't it? In the chapter that we read, how many sacrifices did Solomon make? I can't remember. Uh, 20,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep. Now, that was pretty good, wasn't it? (laughs) How long would that have taken? And yet, this is what God says, Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So God isn't even interested in the amounts of sacrificing that Solomon or we may offer him. What he's looking at is the heart. Are we humble after this morning? Do we see I've got the plague? I'm the problem. Mia culpa. And then James, and James was a very practical Christian. Uh, He wasn't much of a theologian. I think Martin Luther was a bit unfair on James, calling him a straw man. He was God's man. And James put it like this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't you want to be humble? It's not nice to be humbled. But my friend, when God brings you down, he promises to help you. He gives grace to the humble. And then Peter, think of Peter. Peter wasn't a naturally humble man, was he? Peter was the man who was always at the front, always wanting to be first. He was the active person. And yet Peter had come to the point where he had been humble because he says in his letter, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. Notice, we do the humbling. Under God's hand, we do the humbling. But God does the exalting. We put it the wrong way around, don't we? We try to exalt ourselves. We try to assert ourselves in the wrong way. Whereas we should be humbling ourselves and let God do the exalting. How many church problems would be solved if we put it in the right order? And pray and pray. What's this? It's not saying our prayers. Um, The word in the Hebrew is interesting. It's linked to humble ourselves. To pray here in the Hebrew means to judge yourself. Hang on, you say. That doesn't sound healthy to me. It's not going to do my mental health any good. Well, hang on. There is judging and there is judging. Introspection isn't good. Looking within all the time isn't good. What does judge oneself mean here? It means to be selfless. To be, that's the truly humble person. The truly humble person isn't the Uriah Heap who's going on about how humble he is. The truly humble person is the one who realizes he's in the presence of a God who is mighty. And he's seen himself or herself in the light of that God. Selflessness. Selflessness. Augustine said prayer is going out of ourselves to God. Selflessness. It's liberating. 
to be selfless. Not to care anymore what you think of yourself. Not to care anymore what other people may think of you. I say that guardedly. Not to care anymore what other people think of you. To have only one care in the world. What he thinks. What he thinks. Fear God, my friend. And you will then have nothing and no one else to fear. We can pray for revival even and secretly desire self to be glorified, can't we? Uh, Many of us preachers, we're probably praying sometimes for a blessing and we're not saying it out loud, but in our hearts we're thinking, and yes, Lord, I want to be the one. I want to be the one on the front page of Evangelical Times. I want to be the one that becomes well-known as a conference speaker. I want to be the one that has so many hits on YouTube. God opposes that. Be thou exalted. In spite of me, at my expense, Lord, even if my name is trodden upon as long as the name of Jesus Christ is lifted high. Pray, go out of yourself, and then seek my face. This, this is a progression, isn't it? It makes sense. When we humble ourselves and realize what we're really like, that we're utterly dependent on God and on his spirit, and when we go out of ourselves, then, and we begin to seek God's face. We're not trusting anymore our own resources, whatever they are. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. We don't uh, belittle the gifts of God. If you've got a gift of intellect, you've got to use it, but you don't trust it. If you're a preacher and you've got the gift of oratory, you use it, but you don't trust it. If you've got the gift of organization, again, you use it, but to the glory of God. If you've got a gift of caring for people, you use that, but you don't put your trust in it. That's the key. We put our trust in God. We seek God. Our hearts go out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when we're talking about revival, in a sense, we're not talking about seeking revival, are we? We're talking about seeking Jesus Christ. When George Whitfield was made aware of his uh, death uh, there in Oxford, he wasn't seeking God for revival. He didn't know the word. He was simply seeking Jesus Christ. He was seeking for a reality in the sense of sins forgiven. He was praying that the Lord would just visit him. I think sometimes we complicate things. We really do. Lord, I want you. (laughs) I want you. Are you broken? Are you broken? Have the circumstances of the last year broken you? Broken you? There's no confidence left in self. Maybe we haven't reached the bottom yet, but... Is there somebody here who has? Uh, What did the Nobel-winning poet say? I've been broken, I've been broken. Shattered like an empty glass. I'm just waiting on the Lord to refill and build me up. And I know that he will do it because he's faithful and he's true. You know what's amazing? God says here, if my people seek me, I will hear. Jesus Christ said, ask 
and it shall be given. Now, if you've got a, a rich friend and they promise to give you a gift, do you doubt them? Even before they give you the gift, I'm sure you are already rejoicing because you know that they will keep their word. My friend, multiply that by infinity. And we have a Father in heaven who has promised to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. Do you believe that that's the case? And go on seeking. And even if we don't experience revival in that widespread sense, we can know him drawing near. Seek his face. Jacob, I'm thinking of Jacob. Where was Jacob? He was at Penuel, wasn't he? Jacob was a believer. He'd been a believer for a good many years. I think Jacob was saved at Bethel. He had a vision there of Jesus Christ. But Jacob was still a bit of a Jacob, wasn't he? He was still a bit of the schemer, the devious man. And he managed to play tricks with Laban, his uncle, even though he got a taste of his own medicine as well. And then everything came, as it were, together. Jacob's past caught up with him, and he had to flee from Laban. And he couldn't run away back to his homeland because Esau was coming after him as well. He was hemmed in. And at Penuel, he'd come to the end. No more schemes, no more harebrained plans. He'd come to the end of his resources. And there he met God. He wrestled an angel. And he said to God, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. And that's what happened. That's what happened. God so broke Jacob, he weakened him in his hip that Jacob had to depend on the angel of the Lord. And God, God blessed him there. <laughs> and turn from our wicked ways. We, we can't play with God, my friend. Jacob wasn't playing in Penuel. I think he was still playing with Laban. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. No one is perfect, only Jesus Christ. But if we still hold on to sin and don't confess it, then let's not bother seeking God. Deal first with the sin. Uh, what did Paul say to Timothy? Uh, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What's happened on the Isle of Lewis? You know the story, don't you? Those um, young men were in a barn. They were seeking uh, God for revival. They'd been seeking him for some time. And the psalm that I opened the service with, uh, one of them quoted that psalm and he said, it's all humbug. Humbug is old-fashioned English for hypocrites, hypocrisy. It's all hypocrisy. He that shall ascend the hill of the Lord shall have clean hands, not perfection, but integrity, our life in the world, our hands, what we use in the world, are clean. And he said to his brothers, 
are our hands clean? Otherwise, it's humbug to be seeking God. Is there something we're still holding on to? Is there some idol we just won't give up? I'm not thinking here now we're falling into sin, right? We will still fall into sin. We will still get up on our feet. We will still mourn it. We will still confess it. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking of willingly holding on to something we know is blocking God's blessing from coming into our hearts. Are there brothers or sisters that we still won't talk to? Are there, I don't know, are there just unresolved issues? Just clear the deck, clear the deck. Just be real, you've got nothing to lose. There was a revival, wasn't there, in the Congo, um, Helen Rosevier, the only woman who has preached in this church. Can I say that? <coughs> Helen Rosevier stepped in this pulpit and spoke about it. I had a meal once with Helen Rosevier, and there was a sense of God with that lady. She was elderly by then, and just having a meal with her, you were aware that this person knows God. And this is what happened in the Congo. People just got convicted of sin. These were believers now. These were pastors, elders, not just church members. And they saw sin for what it really was. And they didn't pussyfoot anymore. This is how one person puts it, Norman Grubb. He's written a brilliant book on it. Sin was suddenly seen as desperately sinful. There was no gradations. There wasn't big sin or small sin. Sin was sin, and it separated us from God. People were moved to tears to confess to putting things right. Jealousies, anger, coldness of heart, spiritual pretense, this putting on of an outward spiritual front. And then, as sin was brought and laid at the foot of the cross and cleansed by the precious blood of the Saviour, an amazing joy flooded in. That's what happens often when you're seeking God for revival. He humbles you. He breaks you. He brings you to the point where you're utterly desperate and you don't think you're even a Christian. But then he raises you and where there is brokenness and emptiness... He floods the hearts with joy and with power. And that's what was happening to these people in the middle of the 20th century in the Congo. Singing started in great waves. I don't think people would have minded putting their hands up in the air. They were just moved, moved. And they were praising God for the blood. Not for the spirits, for the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, in their language, furna, 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 kua, damu, ya, yesu, joy, joy, joy for the blood of Jesus. And the when of revival, very quickly, the when of revival. The when. If my people, the who, are called by my name, will humble themselves, the what, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven show me the place show me the place where god pours the blessing of the holy spirit from what i've said so far all i can say it's when we're desperate when we're desperate so many of you here have been praying for a visitation for decades and i know you're still praying 
um, chose has a book and he's got a title, Born After Midnight. And it comes from a saying that revivals are often born after midnight. Now, Tozer explains it doesn't mean that if we pray all night after midnight, that somehow God <laughs> has to bless us then because we've put our uh, effort in. He's got to do his bit. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. Do you know what? When you're broken, you can't always pray in terms of saying words and spending time in prayer because you're too broken to do it. All you can do is cry. And born after midnight means we're so desperate. It's just keeping us up. It's keeping us up. We can give him no rest. Whether that means that you're just crying, sending arrow prayers to the Lord, or whether you're on your knees, it doesn't matter, does it? Posture doesn't matter. I know the people were standing here when they were praying. I was standing in Bible college once when I was praying, and I impressed some of the Reformed brethren because they thought I was doing it for theological reasons. And I said to them I wasn't. I was simply doing it to be heard. The, the true posture is just humility, humility. Desperation, desperation. Uh, Stephen Olford, who's written an excellent book on revival, Heart Cry for Revival, it is my conviction that we will never have a revival until God has brought the church of Jesus Christ to a point of desperation. I don't see desperation, do you? I don't see it. As long as Christian people can trust religious organization, material wealth, popular preaching, shallow evangelism, and promotional drives, they will never, ever know revival. But when confidence in the flesh is smashed, I like that, when God smashes our confidence and the church comes to a realization of a desperate wretchedness, blindness, and nakedness before God, then God often breaks in when we least expect it. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And the glory goes to God then, and not to us. Uh, revival is compared, Mr. Hyam preached in the Abba Conference, didn't he? To the tide, the turning of the tide, the turning of the tide. Uh, have, have you been to the beach in Western Supermare at low tide? Ha, have you seen the sea? If you've seen the sea from the promenade in Western Supermare at low tide, then you've seen a miracle because the tide is so far out. It's so far out. Now, at what point does the tide turn? The tide turns when it's gone at its farthest. The Puritan said, it's often darkest right before the dawn. And maybe, my friends, things have got so dark spiritually in Wales that 2022 could be the year of the Lord's favour. We don't know, do we? I'm trying to encourage us here. I, I know it's not easy uh, because we are still relying a bit on ourselves, aren't we? But I just want to just encourage as I come to a conclusion. If you're feeling desperate or if you're just broken and if you're not even sure whether you've got any more strength to seek the Lord, who knows? Who knows? Maybe that's the place. That's the place. The place at Penuel. The place where God blesses. I just want to give a few verses and a quotation and I'll be done. Uh, I've mentioned Jacob at Penuel. Children of Israel in Egypt. 
they were in a desperate state because the Pharaoh had forgotten Moses and they were commanded to build bricks without straw. That's an impossible task. And what did they do? They didn't just pray. They groaned. They groaned. And God heard their groaning. And God intervened. God intervened. Jehoshaphat's prayer. Errol spoke about that in a prayer meeting a while ago. Oh, our God. Will you not judge them? For we have no power. We have no power against the great multitude that is coming against us. We have no power against the tide of amorality. We just don't have the power. And we are no good ourselves, are we? We are just no better. We have no power. But our eyes are upon you. There's the key. Our eyes are upon you. You man's extremity is God's opportunity. David Brainerd, uh, 18th, 19th century missionary um, to North American Indians, uh, August 1745. That's 18th century. God came. God came. A date, August the 8th, 1745. God came by His Spirit. This is what Brainerd said. It is remarkable that God began his work amongst us, the Indians, at a time when I had least hope and, according to my understanding, the least rational prospect to see a work of grace spread. My expectations concerning the conversion of the Indians were probably never at a lower ebb such as that time. And it was at precisely that time, that's the place, that God... That God came. Man's extremity. Your extremity. My extremity. Is God's opportunity. Lord, we are few. Aren't we few? I know we're a goodly number here, but we're few, aren't we? In comparison. In comparison to the crowds. Uh, were there crowds uh, in England, maybe? Celebrating the new year. We're few. But thou art near. And one with God is a majority. Nor short thine arm. Nor deaf thy near. Oh, rend the heavens. Come quickly down. Don't wait for us. And make a thousand hearts thine own. That's our text for the year. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then then i will hear from heaven may that be ah not just verse in our heads but our hearts cry and may we do what that verse says you know if all we did this week apart from pray i know that's important if all we did was humble ourselves if all we did was consider ourselves me each one of you, you personally, as the greater sinner. And didn't try thinking of other people's faults. Like the illustration I gave this morning, the woman carrying the glass full of water around the church, so focusing on the water not spilling, if we, this week, were just to focus on Christ and not think about other people and their weaknesses, but just think of my weakness, your weakness. We've got enough sin in our own hearts to struggle with and focus that on Christ. 
It might not be a revival, but it might be a revolution, a revolution. And imagine if it wasn't just Heath Church that did that, but imagine, I can see Owen Batstone there, imagine if Park End Church did that. Imagine if Tabernacle Church did that. Imagine if Highfield Church did that. Imagine if all the gospel churches in Cardiff did that. It wouldn't be revival, but I do think by the end of the week we would all maybe <laughs> start saying, we've messed it up, haven't we? We've tried in our own strength, and we're sorry, we're sorry, and we want just to start again and preach this wonderful saviour, not despise the day of small things, and to look to him for blessing. Make God make 2022 a year when we know his intervention for his namesake. Now let us um, sing together, all glory to God in the sky. This ties Christmas, uh, the first coming of Jesus Christ uh, in a manger, who meanly in Bethlehem uh, laid to spiritual visitations. And then, of course, we're looking to his second coming as well. So if you're at home, it's number 366, 366. <laughs>
Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mould me, fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Amen. <laughs>